This morning, we are going to be looking at uh, the first account of the Christmas story in the Bible. I had originally planned to continue the, the series through Matthew, but as I looked at it this week and realized that we, we really were at a transition point moving into the Sermon on the Mount, and realizing that the Sermon on the Mount is actually a, a very um, heavy uh, topic, it, it's not something sort of light and, and feel-goody, uh, that as we moved into the holidays, everyone is wanting to be in a different uh, spirit, and so instead of fighting against that, we'll save uh, the Sermon on the Mount for the beginning of next year. And we are having service on January 1, so uh, January 1 is a Sunday morning, so Sunday morning, January 1st, Lord willing, we will start uh, the Sermon on the Mount. But for the next few weeks, I thought it would be appropriate to spend some time uh, looking towards and, and examining uh, this incarnation, the, the advent, the, the coming of Christ into the world. And so this morning, we're going to look at the first account in the Bible of the Christmas story. Now, some of you uh, may be thinking, well, of course, that must be Matthew's gospel because Matthew is the first uh, gospel in the New Testament, and that tells the story of uh, Jesus being born. And uh, actually, it doesn't really talk about his birth so much in Matthew's gospel. It really just says he was born in Bethlehem. That's really all it says. So then you might be thinking, well, it must be Luke's gospel because that really tells us about Joseph and Mary and the angels and the manger and, and the shepherds and all of that. And yes, Luke chapter 2 does tell us that. But I want to look at something earlier than that. Earlier than that, talking about Christ, talking about Christmas. And so you might be thinking, well, that has to be the prophetic utterances of the prophets who had foretold about Jesus coming into the world and, and that he would come and what he would do and, and that he had, God had made all of these promises to his people. And no, it's actually earlier than that. So you might be thinking it's David. Maybe it's the, the account of David and, and what God had promised that there would be a Messiah who would sit on David's throne. But no, I want to look at something earlier than even that. And, and some theologians say that Genesis 3, 15 is the first pronouncement of the gospel in the Bible. And that's, of course, where God promises to send uh, a deliverer, uh, an offspring, a seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. And that is what you might consider to be the, the first pro pronouncement of the gospel in the Bible. And I, and I think that it that's a good, a good way to think about that verse. But I want to look at something even further back than that. Genesis chapter 1 is what I think is the first account of the Christmas story in the Bible. Genesis chapter 1. And you might be saying, well, isn't that the story of creation? And yes, it is. But I want to show you something in here that I hope that you will never forget, that I hope that you will carry with you really for the rest of your life, that you will ponder on the deep truths contained here in Genesis 1. And so if you have your Bibles, open to Genesis 1 uh, with me this morning. And we're going to look at the first three verses. It says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And continuing to verse 4, it says, And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that as we study your word today, as we open your revelation to us, Lord, that you would, by your spirit, speak to each one of us. Lord, all of us is created in your image. Each one of us is created with the capacity to to have knowledge, to have understanding. Lord, each of us with a, a, a personality, each of us with a conscience, each of us with a unique and distinct personhood made in your image. Lord, the, the capacity to know you, the capacity to be in fellowship with you, the capacity to relate to you and, and for us to call you our father and for you to call us your sons and your daughters. Lord, as we spend time here today that, that your word would be planted into our hearts, Lord, that you would speak to each one of us, that you would give us eyes to see what it is you want us to see today, ears to hear what your spirit is speaking. Lord, as we head into this Christmas season, that uh, these truths that we look at today, Lord, that they would overflow in our hearts and in our lives and that it would overflow to praise and gratitude to you and towards you for the great and wonderful things that you have accomplished on our behalf. We thank you. We praise you in the name of Jesus, your son. Amen. So you might be thinking, how in the world is this the first Christmas story? And as I'm sitting here looking at my notes, I'm sort of thinking that too uh, today. No, I'm just kidding. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light. Jesus refers to himself over and over again as the light of the world. If you remember in Matthew chapter 4 that uh, Pastor Mark preached a message talking about the the area that Jesus was ministering in. If if you'll keep your place in Genesis but flip over with me to Matthew chapter 4, I want to show you that this is a, a, a retelling, a, a, a telling in advance, if you will. Yes, of God creating the world, and I'm not, I'm not taking away from that at all, but, but within that account that he's also preaching the proclamation of the gospel. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 Jesus, it says, when he heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And here he quotes from Isaiah chapter 9. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles. Verse 16. 
The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Christmas is the story of the light of Jesus coming into the world. Jesus coming into the world is him, the light, coming into the darkness. The darkness, of course, is here referring to a a spiritual condition. It's referring to not a physical darkness, but a spiritual darkness. That the peoples of the world and the people of this region had been blinded by sin. Of course, as we read the story, the account of of Genesis, we we know that Adam and Eve, they, they didn't obey God, that they disobeyed God in the garden, that they plunged the human race into sin. They plunged the human race into darkness. They plunged the human race into rebellion against God and that all of humanity, all of us created in the image of God with the capacity to know God and to have fellowship with God and to walk in his light are now born Not in the light, but we are born in darkness. But here Matthew writing and quoting from Isaiah, taking this this prophetic utterance of what the Messiah would be, he says that now those who were in darkness, that they have seen a great light because Jesus the Messiah has come into the world with the light of heaven. That those dwelling in the shadow of of death, on them a light has dawned. And I believe that all of us here today can attest to this fact that all of us here this morning could say, those of us who have believed upon Christ, that we could say we once were in darkness, but upon us a light has dawned. Amen? That, That we once were dwelling in the shadow of death, but now... Christ has shown his light into our lives. You know, the first time that that, that the gospel takes root in our lives, the first time, not necessarily that we hear the gospel message, but the first time that it it, it makes sense to us, It, it is a time where God's light floods into our soul, floods into our life. And all of a sudden, what was in the darkness, all of a sudden, the the sin that was in our lives as the gospel goes forward and, and God turns the light on for us, we see clearly for the first time who we really are and who he really is. And it is that exposure, it is that light, that that gospel message that shines, that floods our soul that causes us to want to cling to Christ, to cling to his atoning work, to cling to his work of salvation. Because in the light of the gospel, it's so clearly, it's so clear that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that without him, without his rescuing us, without his light, without his work of atonement and redemption, that we are all lost, that we have no hope, but he is our hope. He is our light 
He is our life. And in Genesis, if, if we'll flip back there to Genesis, of course, this is the account of creation. Of course, this is the account of, of God creating the world, God who exists perfectly as Father, Son, and Spirit outside of time, outside of, of the natural world, that he is supernatural, that he, he exists in, in spirit, and that he speaks creation into existence, that all of the universe, that all of creation comes into existence at the obedience to God's spoken word. But look at the picture that's drawn for us here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness over the face of the deep. Isn't this a a picture of all of us without Christ? Isn't this a picture of, of the world today that lives without the knowledge of Christ? In darkness, void, an emptiness there. A a longing to to be in relationship with the creator, but but without any light, any way to see how how that could be accomplished. And here among the darkness over the face of of this deep, the spirit of God hovering, uh, literally brooding over the face of the water, the spirit of God ready to act at the command of God. And then God saying, God speaking into the darkness. God shouting forth this proclamation, let there be light. In the midst of darkness, the first thing that we see God doing is that he speaks light into darkness. What what a dramatic picture here. And and, and the, the, the fact that our revelation from God, the Holy Scriptures, beginning in Genesis, the very first image that God reveals to us of himself is that he is the one who sends forth light into darkness. This is who our God is, the one that sends light into darkness. And so right here at the very beginning of the creation of the universe, at the very beginning of God's revelation of himself to us, is that he is the one who pushes back darkness by his own very light. This is a foundational concept for for us to understand and to live in God's world. For us to live in God's world, the world that was created by him, the world that came into existence at his spoken word, this is a foundational concept for us to know how we live in God's world. You see that you can't see anything without light. And it's not lost on me the irony today that our lights are not working. I promise you this is not just some creative illustration where you know, somebody on cue is gonna flip the light switch on. That there's nobody back there waiting to do that. We tried everything we knew how to try this morning. But it's not lost on me, the, the irony, the, the providence of God that the day that we're talking about, light and darkness, that I'm standing up here in the dark today, But you cannot see anything without light. The darker something is, the harder it is to see. And so God's revelation of himself to mankind, his special revelation, his word, 
which is intended to show us the truth, it, it itself begins with a declaration of light. This is a very profound idea. In fact, words fail to describe how profound this is. That God's word, which is itself truth, which is itself, as the Bible says, a lamp unto our feet and light unto our path, that is God's revelation of himself to us, that it itself begins with a declaration of light entering into darkness, and without light we can't see anything. Do you see how profound this is? And not only is it just God's special revelation, but it's also the means by which the universe was created. Why does God do this? Well, I believe it's so that light itself, light itself would be a reminder to us of the source of all light. You see, without God, there is only darkness. Without God, there is no light. Without God, we can see nothing. God is the source of light. And it is light that makes seeing, it's light that makes sight possible, both naturally and spiritually. This is a natural reality meant to teach us about spiritual truths. That without God's light, without Jesus the Messiah, we cannot see who we really are. We cannot see who he really is. But here at the very beginning is this picture of God sending light into darkness. And that this would remind us that every light, that every time we literally see anything, we would be reminded of God who is the source of all light. Think about that. You can't see anything without God. Nothing. Without God, we're all just stumbling around in the darkness, trying to find our own way, tripping over ourselves, tripping over sin. Those of you with young children, especially uh, young boys, especially young boys who like to play with Legos, all know the, the, the abject terror of walking through your house in the middle of the night in the darkness and the most painful thing in all the universe is stepping on some Star Wars Lego set because you didn't, you didn't see it. It wasn't there. You, it, without the light, you, you don't know what's right in front of you. Without the light, we're just in the darkness. God is the light by which we see everything. There is nothing that can be seen without God. Without God, we would never see anything physically. And without God's revelation, which itself calls itself the light, we would know nothing. We would know nothing without God's revelation. So that the writer of Proverbs will say this in Proverbs 1.7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That, that to, to know anything truly, to know anything rightly, to know anything as its or supposed purpose and intention is, is to walk in the light of the fear of the Lord. 
that I can know nothing of value. I can know nothing without walking in God's light, without walking in God's revelation. That everything that exists, exists in relation to its creator. And so for me to understand what has been made, whatever that thing might be, I have to understand it in the light of the one who created it. So for me to understand you as a fellow human being, for me to understand who you are, is to understand that you are an image bearer of God. I must understand you, I must know you in relation to the one who made you in his image. And so this is why we believe that every single person has dignity, has value, has worth. This is why we believe that human life is more important than a tree. This is why we believe that human life is more important than the animals. Because you are not just, you know, uh, uh, an evolved ape. You, you are created in the image of God. So for me to understand you as a human being, for me to understand human relationships, for me to understand anything in life, I must understand it in relationship to its creator. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The beginning of knowledge starts with the fear of the Lord. We're created, each one of us, in the image of God. We're created, each one of us, with dignity, value, and worth. We're not just bacteria that, that hung out in soup for a really long time. I've got some bacteria hanging out in soup in my uh, refrigerator after Thanksgiving right now. Maybe you had left your leftovers out a little bit too long too. There, there's, listen, the, the idea that this, that, would, would one day turn into human beings? We, we, we didn't start out as bacteria that then turned into fish, dot, 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 and now we're philosophers. We, we didn't go from fish to philosophers. We didn't go from apes to humans. No, we are created in the image of God. Image of God. And that means that we, to, to know that, we have to live in the light of God's revelation. We can know nothing without walking in the light of God. We can see nothing without walking in the light that he has given us. Light comes from God. Colossians 2.3 says that in Christ are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. To know anything rightly is to know it in the light of Christ. To know how it relates to Christ. To know God's intended use and purpose for it. In him are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see, without Christ, there is only darkness. Without Christ, there is no light. He is the light. He is the source by which we can truly see anything. He is the source by which we can truly know anything at all. We cannot see and we cannot know without the light of Christ. 
This is why the psalmist in Psalm 14.1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. We reread that, we might be tempted to think that God is calling people names, that God is sort of dishing out insults, but that's not the case. We might use the word fool that way in our common language, but that's not the way the Bible uses the word fool or that God uses the word fool. The way God uses the word fool is to describe an activity, to describe a, a certain kind of person. You see, the fool is not just somebody who's ignorant, like we would use the term. No, the fool is one who is ignoring what is plain and can be seen by everybody. What should be plain, what should be clear, what should be obvious, the light of the revelation of God, the Bible says it is the fool that says there is no God. Why? Because it is by God that we can even see anything. Without God, there is no light. Without God, there is nothing that can be seen. God is the source of all light. God is the source of all knowledge. So that for someone to look at everything that God has made and then come to the conclusion that there is no God, they are not just ignorant, but they are willfully and actively ignoring what God has made plain to everyone. That's what the Bible says. That's the, the truth of the light that God brings into the world. Proverbs 4.18 says, The path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Jesus is the light. So why is this the first Christmas story? Because it describes a world that is in darkness and it describes God sending his light into our darkness. That is the story of Christmas. So that even on the very first pages of the Bible, even in the very first words of the Bible, we see a picture of the gospel. We see a picture of God's plan that he set forth before the ages began to send his son to redeem a people for himself to send his son with the light and with that light to call a people out of darkness who would walk in his marvelous light of whom I believe that you and I are a part of that great congregation today. You and I are a part of that people that walk in the light that he brings and that only he brings. So as this Christmas season, as, as me and my uh, family on Friday were, were putting up our Christmas lights. Why do we do that? Because Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light that came into our dark world. Jesus is the light upon which we can see and know anything. Jesus is the one who brought the light of the gospel, the way of salvation to the world. That without Christ, that the world is in darkness because of sin, but through the gospel, through the light that only he brings, he eradicates the darkness. He pushes back on the darkness. Christmas is the story of a new day dawning. A new day in Christ has dawned for humanity. That those walking in darkness have seen a great light. This is why John begins his gospel by saying, 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That he was in the beginning with God, so that even as God speaks here, we see the Word who became flesh, that he is in the working of creation. Jesus there with the Father, the Word by which all things were created, the eternal Word of God. Not only is he the light, but he is the Word. And then John goes on to say that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. The darkness cannot overcome light. That there is no way possible for light to be shining and darkness to be winning. That if the light will shine, there is no place for the darkness any longer. And the beautiful story of the Bible is, is the very beginning, the very first pages that there is darkness, but into that darkness, God sends light. We as humanity don't walk in the revelation of God. We don't obey God. We don't follow his path through this life. We rebel against him, plunging ourselves back into darkness through sin. But that God, through sending his son into the world, now brings us the light of the salvation of Jesus Christ bringing the light into our spiritual darkness so that then when we move forward from the work of Christ all the way to the consummation, to the book of Revelation, to the end of all things, when all is said and done, when all is wrapped up, when all of history is concluded, what do we see? We see a city with no darkness. We see a city where God's glory and God's shining light illuminates the nations of the world. That there's no longer the need for the sun, there's no longer the need for the moon, because God's glory literally illuminates the nations of the world. And so from Genesis, the very beginning of God speaking light into darkness, us taking a really long detour from God's intended plan and purpose, but that through Christ, through the king of the universe, through the very light itself, that light becomes human. That light takes on human flesh. The word became flesh, dwells among us. And John says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, that he shines, that he radiates, that through his work of, of the atonement, the resurrection, his ascension, and now through his church, now through his church, because he declares that we are now the light of the world. That now that he is in heaven, his church, his body, we are now to shine as the lights in the world. And that through his church, he is pushing back the forces of darkness until the very end when he himself comes and ushers us into eternity, that place where there is now no more darkness. This is where human history is going. Human history is headed to the place where there is literally no more sin, no more darkness. That, that we as the church are to take the light of Christ to everywhere that the curse touches. Wherever the curse of sin goes, we need to take the light of the gospel there. So that even in the end, the final enemy to be defeated is death itself. No more sin, no more darkness, no more sickness, no more death. Only light and love and joy and peace and happiness and goodness. This is the work 
of Christ. This is the story of Christmas. This is why we hang lights on our house and lights on our tree. Because Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light. We who once were in darkness have now seen a great light. The Christmas message is the message of hope. That there is hope. Because someone chased after us. Someone came into our darkness with the light of the gospel. So that every light we see and let everything we see in the light of that light is literally telling us about the creator God who himself created light. So that anytime I see anything ever, it should lead me to think of the one who is the source of all light. I cannot take one step. I cannot think one thought without his light and his life illuminating the way. So that every thought, every action, every breath, every most infantile, infinitesimal thing that we do in our life is only from him and to him and through him, that he is all in all. That's the story of Christmas. That's the story that's contained in when you see that little manger and that little baby in there. It's light entering into the darkness. This is why Jesus is the, the only one in the Bible who, is, who opens the eyes of the blind. Did you know that? That's one of the, his premier miracles. As he goes around opening the eyes of the blind. John chapter 9 tells of one of those accounts. We don't have time to read the whole thing. But I want to just re- I'm gonna read one little verse from John chapter 9 today. When Jesus does this, of course he does it on the Sabbath day just to reveal the Pharisees' religious hypocrisy. So when Jesus heals a blind man on the Sabbath day, they all get mad at him. And so they they try to turn the, the man who was born blind against Jesus, the one who healed him. Verse 24 says, They came to him, these Pharisees, they came to him, the man who was born blind. They said, give glory to God. Okay, that's a good thing to do, amen? But they say, look at how they say to do that. Give glory to God. We know that this man, that's Jesus, we know that this man is a sinner. Wow. No. Those two things don't go together. Okay. First thing, yes, give glory to God. Jesus is not a sinner. He did not break the Sabbath day. He, he, he upheld all of God's laws perfectly. The man answers that absurd de- declaration. He says, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind and now I see. If, if, if we can only say one thing, about Jesus, we should be able to say this. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. 
I was blind, but now I see. As that story continues in verse 32, he says, Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Jesus is the one who opens the eyes of the blind because Jesus is the one who has the light because Jesus himself is the light. And now he opens our eyes so that we can see truly, we can see uh, what, what reality is itself, that we now have his word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, that we can walk in his light and walk in his revelation and miss the pitfalls and miss the stumbling that, the, that those who, who do not walk in the light of Christ constantly plunge themselves into that we are called as God's people to live a life that is distinct from those walking in darkness and that we are to take the light of Christ to those who are in darkness so that through our witness and through our proclamation that he too could shine his light into their darkness, exposing the sin and revealing that he is the only way of salvation. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand with me this morning, invite the worship team to come. I really believe that every light, every source of light is to be a reminder to us of who the source of light, of all light is that we can see nothing without the light that God gave, the light that God spoke into existence. All light comes from Him so that I can see nothing physically without Him and that I can see nothing spiritually without Him. And that through the gospel, through Jesus coming with the light that gives life to all who would believe, that we have now been brought into the kingdom of light to now walk in the light of God's revelation to us.